0: I think that the biggest growth opportunity that the cloud has brought comes in the form of just the flat information. And I know many of you may have seen this in the forms of memes. I have the entire world in the palm of my hand. Mm -hmm. I have access to every piece of human information, but I still choose to look at cat videos. You're listening to Cloud Security Reinvented, a podcast for security leaders with a focus on the cloud. Learn best practices from fellow security professionals and how they disconnect from it all at the end of the day. Cloud Security Reinvented.
1: Good morning, or depending on when you are in the world, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented. I'm your host, Andy Ellis. Before I introduce our guest for the week, a quick word from our sponsor, Orca Security. ORCA provides agentless security and compliance for your public cloud infrastructure, enabling you to detect and prioritize security risks in minutes, not months. I'm here today with Maury Haber, Chief Security Officer at BeyondTrust. Welcome, Maury.
0: Thank you, Andy, for having me today.
1: Well, thanks for joining us today. Across a security career, not only do we as professionals grow, but the world that we're in changes. And today I'd like to get some of your insight, especially in light of the transition from the on-premise world that many of us started in to the world of cloud that has basically become the default model for all IT infrastructure. But you've got an interesting career journey. I think most people I talk to you know, switch jobs five, 10 times in their career before they become CISO, but you've had a, a pretty interesting career. I think you started building reliability into flight simulators at ECC.
0: That is correct. So fresh out of college, my first job was to basically do reliability and maintainability engineering for flight simulators and military training devices. One of the challenges in that role was tracking MTTR, mean time to repair. Mm -hmm. And that type of data, you you can put it right down. But back then, we really didn't have much spreadsheets. Lotus in the early 90s didn't really even exist. So built first database with DBase 3 and then with FoxPro to track that and really embarked on my IT journey, programming journey back then by helping prove the reliability of flight simulators and when they needed to be repaired.
1: I think mentioning FoxPro probably triggered a number of our listeners uh, now are having flashbacks to that era. And if they are, let's give them another flashback, because from there you went to CA, where you worked on the
0: Unicenter SWAT team? That's correct. So from that job, I spent a very short time at a company called Entex, which Mm -hmm. is now Siemens, doing a little bit of outsourcing work. And then I went to CA. One thing that's not on my typical resume or on LinkedIn is I did have my own consulting firm for several years doing basically PC installations, Novell, Lantastic, Workgroup for Windows, a little bit of a flashback for many people listening, for small law firms, dental offices, things like that. So when CA approached me, they were embarking on the client server journey, software delivery, asset management, things of that nature, and happily accepted the job hung up my hat from being an entrepreneur and embarked on that long journey with Unicenter for many years.
1: I think at the time you were doing that, I was in the Air Force and I remember the sysadmins across the hall from me often had colorful things to say about CA that we can't really repeat on the radio. I think the FCC will show up.
0: You can, I remember hearing a lot of those as well. It was a great ride, but I look back at it now and they were a unicorn in terms of culture, people and technology, yep. the this way I could say it.
1: Yeah, well, and I think that for people who didn't go, come through that era, it's amazing to see a company that was so dominant at that time, mm-hmm. right? And I think we see, we have totally different companies now that we look at as being dominant in, you know, related on IT spaces, but I think we sometimes forget that just because somebody has effectively a monopoly doesn't mean they're gonna have that forever.
0: That is correct. And the culture of that company at the time is something that I think many organizations have learned is just not acceptable. And if you mm-hmm. did work with computer associates at that time and then CA, even if you were in a large meeting or something and you dozed off, you had the risk of being fired. It was a very, very different culture than what's acceptable today and a monopoly, especially because of their mainframe software. So yep. it's a good thing that that is a part of the nineties and we've learned and evolved since then, honestly. We have.
1: And then 2004, I think you made your last job change. To EI, because EI later gets acquired by BeyondTrust, where you are today. So I think
0: that's a fascinating journey. 18 years, I think you're now at? Very close to 18 years. So my boss at Computer Associates left, and he went to EI Digital Security, which was doing the Retina Vulnerability Scanner, when vulnerabilities were becoming the hot market in terms of solution type, you know, how do I scan, how do I assess, how do I patch? And said, look, come for a ride. So I did. And it turned out to be a fantastic journey for many years. We picked up the government contract for vulnerability assessment scanning. We picked up many large clients. We were competing against ISS at the time. We were competing against Nessus before they were formally tenable and Foundstone before McAfee even picked them up. Oh, that's right. A- I
1: remember Foundstone. Yeah.
0: Found it was a great ride. In 2012, Beyond Trust acquired EI. And we took the concept of privileged access management or privileges is another form of vulnerability. And how to solve that is privileged access management. And that's where I am today with multiple acquisitions of more products technology to solve the privilege problem or solutions that we offer today are on premise in the cloud around that stack.
1: You know what I think I really like watching that, that whole arc of your career is you started in reliability. Mm -hmm. And realistically, reliability is the most important part of access, because if you shut everything off, which would certainly solve the vulnerability problem, you're going to get ripped out and not function. So reliability has to be core to your business.
0: It's core to the business, but it's also an interesting personal trait. Growing up, my parents had a uh, jewelry store in Brooklyn, New York, long gone, but its name was Haber's Reliable Jewelry Store. The word reliable was actually in the name. And reliable is a personal trait that I hold dearly today that when asked, when given, when I use my word to say I will get it done, Mm -hmm. I believe in being reliable all the way through. The fact that my career started as a reliability engineer and I ended up as a CISO, I still hold that word very dear.
1: I love that. So I think your world of security has changed least from employment perspective, but you've probably gotten this bird's eye view of watching how cloud has affected security. So what have you seen, especially this last 18 years, sort of sitting in one spot and watching the changes around you? What's changed for you?
0: The biggest thing is the word denial. When the cloud first started, going back all the way to the days of vulnerability management, it was Retina, it was Mm -hmm. the foundstones and ISS's versus Qualys. Qualys being one of the first true SaaS solutions, and it was, the argument, why would you put your data in someone else's data center that potentially could leak to a hacker that knows how to breach your environment? Well, you know what? That lasted for a little while, and then we realized you know it's safe enough to do there. Then we started storing PII, et cetera, and the, in the privileged world, it was why would you store your passwords in the cloud? If that got leaked, it would be game over. Well, we've gotten the security good enough. We, we really have, so that it's not a concern to do things like that. Mm-hmm. So, as the cloud has matured, the security of the cloud has matured, people are willing to put more PII, put more sensitive information there, and operate their businesses. One key facet of that was with one of those latest acquisitions that you allude to in my career. In 2018, a company called Baumgart acquired Beyond Trust, Avecto, and Lieberman, four companies in one year. Mm-hmm. But we took the Beyond Trust name. So with that, as the CTO, and then shortly afterwards, the CISO as well, we had to reconcile everything we do, on-premise technologies, AV, SIM, you name it. Mm -hmm. And we took the notion that, look, we're not going to just say this company used X or this company used Y. It has to be cloud-based. I don't want any more on-prem technology. I want it to be highly secure. It has to support SAML. It has to support. Two factor authentication, period, everything across the board. And then we replaced all of that technology stack for our internal CISO usage. So when COVID hit and I had to send employees home, I didn't have much disruption. I was already 99% cloud. But as the CISO, I'm not only responsible for the corporate infrastructure, I'm also responsible for the products that we make, and we are a yep. security vendor. So having that strong cloud presence then was, okay, how do the disciplines of vulnerability management, patch management, log management translate? And what are we gonna do about that? And I did not want the traditional scanning technologies, agent technologies, et cetera, Mm -hmm. to do it. I wanted a modern approach to get there. And that's how I've seen the evolution of the cloud because you don't need agents in the cloud to do the things that you used to have to do on-premise.
1: Yeah, so I think that's a key thing that I think a lot of people sort of missed and were surprised by is we started cloud as, oh, we'll just lift and shift, Mm -hmm. right? And it's really become, oh, wait, there's a whole bunch of security primitives we now have access to that let us change our entire architecture if we so
0: choose. Agreed. And those discipline changes have been critical in re-engineering. So think of the disciplines or, or the concept. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I still have to do all those best practices. I still have to do least privilege. I still have to look for attacks. I still have to do logs but the way I actually do it is Mm -hmm. different and don't necessarily assume that you can cloud wash, which is a common term about lifting and shifting what you've done on premise to the cloud. The discipline is the same. The approach is different. And Andy, one thing you may or may not know is I am a prolific writer. I've authored three books covering privileged attacks, vulnerability management and identity governance. I do have a fourth book coming out in Q2 Mm. called cloud attack vectors covering how the more things change, the more they stay the same. So the disciplines that we know today, what are the security best practices for doing them in the cloud?
1: Well, that's awesome. We'll look forward to seeing that book in a few months. Thank you. So I think your industry is you know an interesting one because you are principally a vendor, although for a lot of different things. And so I think when people from the outside are looking in, they're gonna make a lot of assumptions about what life is like for you and what cloud security is like what would be the thing that would surprise them the most how is it different in your industry than what others would expect
0: it's a two-folded hat so literally <laughs> turn the hat it's a baseball cap in one direction I'm the CISO, yep. and i'm overseeing internal resources and cloud resources flip my baseball cap around i'm the vendor pitching it does alienate me in many ways and i know this sounds kind of odd but Talking to other CISOs, they expect me to come out with a pitch right away. I mean, I use my own products. We use every product we make internally 100%. But I am still a CISO and I have the same challenges with patching, same challenges with vulnerability management, the same challenges with ransomware and digital transformation and cyber insurance that all everybody else does. So I try very hard to make sure that people know which hat I'm wearing And when I am excluded from going to a conference or something because I'm a vendor, let them know that you're not going to hear me talk about my products. I'm just trying to solve the same problems. And that doesn't always come across the way I would hope. They choose that exclusion.
1: Yeah, I've definitely had the, you're a vendor, you're not welcome at our conference, Mm -hmm. which is always funny when I try to register for a conference that I've been invited to speak at. Or you know, I'm being honored with an award at, and they turn me down, and they say, "Well, you can't come." I'm like, "Well, you invited me."
0: That's exactly right, and it's a bad thing in the industry today because as a vendor, I have to protect what I'm selling. Let me wear my CISO hat. I promise that I will not talk about my products unless someone specifically asks me. Yep. Otherwise, I need the tools that are part of that conference and to hear from my fellow CISOs as to how they're sal- sal- solving yeah. the same challenges.
1: That's an interesting thing that potentially we as you know, CISOs associated with vendors can be, you know, perhaps we come up with a code of conduct for vendor CISOs to sort of help people become more comfortable with this in the room.
0: Agreed. And I would be honored to say, look, here's my logo. I will not talk shop on my yep. side, but please, how did you solve that problem? Mm-hmm. I got it too.
1: Yeah, no, it's a fascinating one. So let's look at the transition from the pre-cloud world to where we are today. Lots of practices, and I think we just talked about how many of them have stayed the same, just changed the details, but which thing that we used to do most resonates today?
0: Most resonates today is still the the two primary attack vectors, vulnerability and exploits and privileged accounts. It doesn't matter where the software is running, you still have to be able to identify a mistake, a flaw, a vulnerability, and is it exploitable and how are you gonna correct it? Secondly, any type of privileges or access that can allow authentication, how are those being managed, governed, monitored, are the the biggest disciplines. On the contrary side, the one that I wish would go away, and boy do I wish it would go away, is patch management. Vendors that have solutions that you have to use third parties to deploy patches to drive me nuts. Every solution that's out there, cloud or on-premise, should be able to auto-update itself and you should only have to patch custom things. Why we haven't learned how to get past that is still beyond me.
1: Right, so patch management is fine if it's your own software, but if it's somebody else's, it should auto, that I love. And for your two things that most resonate, what strikes me is those are the ransomware vectors, Mm -hmm. is privileged access and vulnerabilities, like that's the basic lateral movement goal for ransomware.
0: Yep. And if you remove admin rights, then the statistics of ransomware taking a hold and laterally moving are much, much lower. So it is security best practices. It's a part of the attack chain. I mean, almost Mm -hmm. all infiltration happens because an account was compromised or something wasn't patched. Why can't vendors just patch themselves? I mean, obviously you got to do change control. You have to do regression testing. I get it, but it should be a push button operation in this day and age.
1: Yeah, now that would be. Well, I'd love. I think we'd all love to see that. As you look at the cloud era, you know, I think we started obviously in a denial world. But what has, for you has been the biggest surprise that the cloud has brought for us, or the best growth opportunity that you don't think you would have predicted?
0: I think that the biggest growth opportunity that the cloud has brought it comes in the form of just the flat information, and I know many of you may have seen this in the forms of memes. I have the entire world in the palm of my hand. Mm-hmm. I have access to every piece of human information, but I still choose to look at cat videos. What the power of the cloud has brought to me is that information regardless of my job, my role, my location, my vacation, what I need to do, where I need to do it, etc. I would never have thought that the cloud could bring so much different types of information together to you in a mobile fashion. And I think that's key. And the protection of all that information to make sure it's accurate, it's not been tampered with, it's not fake news, has been one of the biggest challenges of the cloud in itself.
1: Yeah, I was in fact about to say, I love being able to use Wikipedia when, you know, stop a dinner conversation like two people <laughs> arguing over something stupid. And I'm like, let me just pull out my phone and look it up. But then you brought up the, how do you know that's really true? Cause I've certainly stumbled across things that you're like, I'm not quite sure it happened the way this Wikipedia editor thought it did.
0: I agreed. And I used two examples. One is the tree octopus. If you've never heard of it, Google it, it's not mine. <laughs> but if you want one that is associated with me, just Google John Teeter, it is a rat hole. You will go for endless hours. No, it is not me, but it is associated with my name, and that's where the cloud becomes a problem because of all of the information about John Teeter as a time traveler associated with me. It's not, but I still get it. You have to give us the it.
1: spelling of John Teeter for our listeners who want to Google sure, it. Sure,
0: J O H N for John and Teeter T I T O R. It's lore. It's there's nothing better to state it, but if anybody wants to go down a rat hole just google it you'll understand that's the negative side of the cloud conspiracy theories problems having bad information right then and there when you really it shouldn't be there in the first
1: place yeah and i think that we suffer from that in businesses as well during incident management sometimes Mm -hmm. is this first idea that somebody has that might be wrong but it was just a hypothesis sort of gets captured by somebody's imagination and they build on it. And all of a sudden there's this root cause analysis that looks absolutely nothing like the truth, but it's so believable and it captures people that unwinding that sometimes takes years and you're never really done.
0: It is very true. Anytime someone makes a bold statement and is emphatic about it or tries to socially engineer you with this fact and you start to believe it, then it becomes lore, it becomes culture, it becomes tradition. And unfortunately we accept that's what it was all the way along, even though it was not correct. Yep. Unfortunately, it's just a part of the day and age that we live in that a single statement can become fact and supported by the internet. With all that data in the cloud, you have to trust yourself to state whether that's true or not. And that's not political or anything else in nature. It could be regarding almost any topic that you're researching.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I think that jumps into the next thing I like to always ask people is, what piece of advice do you wish someone had given to you earlier in your career that maybe you could pass on so somebody doesn't have to learn the same lesson you did the hard way?
0: Oh, you're going to love this. Listen more, just shut up. You're in a conversation to process information, formulate an opinion, but your opinion right up front is not necessarily the right answer. It is so important to be able to not talk but to listen and not respond just so you can respond your voice is very important in a security aspect but your answers have got to be reliable they've got to be accurate they've got to be to the point so there are a lot of talks about this on the internet most of which you can find through sans and other organizations where they say look talk less listen more And try only to speak about once every 15 to 20 minutes in a large room setting, because people are more apt to listen to you when you talk less frequently with concise answers and a firm opinion than constantly talking all the time. So while it may sound abrupt, it's shut up, listen, formulate good answers.
1: And if someone wants a slightly less abrupt version of that, I was given a similar one that I wish I had learned earlier, which is before you open your mouth, understand what you're trying to achieve.
0: Agreed, and if a person's gonna interrupt you constantly when you're talking, let them just talk.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I've discovered let them and just sort of stare at them and the whole room will understand. Like, it's like, oh, one of these people is rude and one is polite. And so you get listened to even more by the people who've seen you get cut off.
0: I couldn't agree more. And the reason I use shut up, even though it does sound harsh, is because sometimes you just have to tell someone, excuse me, shut up. I know it's rough, I know it's abrasive, but if you say, Talk less, listen more. Sometimes it doesn't sink in, so I will choose the latter uh, of the two terms, and hopefully people will listen to that.
1: Right. It's something just because you really want to talk doesn't mean the room really wants to listen at that moment.
0: Agreed. Universe is not listening. Universe
1: is not (laughs) listening. So, as you look to the future, what opportunities about technology in the future are you most excited
0: for? I'm excited about a couple of different things. One of which is the cloud in itself cloud security management being the highest priority, at least in my career path. Mm-hmm. But what I'm most excited about is the future on bring your own identity. I think that that is the next five to 10 years of evolution with the cloud and everything we do. If you're listening to this podcast and you're an avid reader, um, you saw that the IRS has basically released the ID program that you have to register with them in order to contact the IRS, register with me in order to to contact the IRS through the cloud. The concept of bring your own identity where it's a government service, private service, all of that still needs to be shaken out, but it is a place where you can register all of your traits, your address, your phone number, your banking account, your employment history, anything that is important that you may need to share. So when you go to work with somebody, you're not filling out endless forms. You have that central place to say, I will share, I will share, I will share, and they get that information. And you will only update it in one place, credit cards, everything. Obviously that's gotta be highly secure, but that goes back to the mantra that I talked about earlier. We are getting more comfortable with incredibly sensitive information in the cloud, but having Mm -hmm. that central location gives me an ability to share it. And I do believe in the next 10 years that will give me the evolution for authentication and authorization. So that will become your authentication store, not only for personal, but for business. And you'll see that decentralization of identities from the Azure ADs of the world or even the IGA solutions going to a bring your own identity model where it will bounce off of that cloud service to say, yep, their credit card, fine. You know what? They just booked a trip to Mexico, fine. That's the time period they're supposed to be there. The IP geolocation shows Mexico, it's probably okay to let them in. With all of that being abstracted by the service and the identity Mm -hmm. going, you know what? Based on everything I know, it's probably okay. And I think yeah, I hadn't
1: the- even thought about that tie in like, oh, your location gets known by a central provider for use in things like fraud detection. I would love that because I've literally had to cancel a credit card because they were too egregious on fraud protection.
0: I think it's an absolutely simple model because if you're asking the service, this request is coming from Mexico. Do you have any algorithms that state that they could be in Mexico? Okay, what would we know? Geolocation from the phone? Was a flight booked on your credit cards there? There's all of that abstract information that could easily be processed. So I firmly believe in the next five to 10 years, you're gonna see the model of bring your own identity become much more mainstream. And then as a major behavioral tool for decisions on authentication.
1: I love that, that's amazing. So speaking of going to Mexico, what do you do to unwind?
0: I write. As I mentioned, I'm an author. I know it sounds very silly outside of family and travel and things like that. I mean, those are all fairly standard answers. I do a lot of learning, talking to fellow CISOs, reading, and I get my outlet based on, oh, wow, I got this great idea and I write. And that's materialized into four unique books, uh, one with two editions and the latest one coming soon.
1: Well, I can definitely empathize with that since I did just sign my first book deal. Congratulations. I'm very excited about that. So my book on leadership will hopefully be coming out in about six, nine months or so.
0: It's a wonderful journey. If there was a recommendation I'd give to any of the audience, if you have all of these ideas built in your head, start with a basic outline, something that you learned in high school. Take an outline and just start writing it out. Then take each bullet, break it out even further. Then start writing sentences for each bullet. Sooner or later, you're going to be at 30, 40, 50, 100 pages, and you've written a book break it down into manageable chunks. And I think anybody could be an author.
1: That's great advice for folks. So uh, a bit of free form. Do you have a piece of wisdom you like to share with our listeners? Doesn't have to be about technology, it can be anything.
0: Piece of wisdom. I think that it goes back to a little bit of the thing what I would tell someone else, my younger self. I think we do a lot more talking today than we do listening. I think there is a lot of opportunity for self-growth and self-improvement. I'm a huge science fiction fan, probably should stay on a podcast like this. That's okay. But self-improvement is really, really important to me and wisdom that I would give to anybody. Try to be the best self you can with whatever you do. Find ways to improve yourself. Be honest with yourself in terms of what you're doing wrong. It's okay to have days that are blue or... I've been working from home every day. It's okay. But how do you improve that situation? How can you make it better and learn about yourself and not worry about so many other people? I think that's the best piece of wisdom because after all, you only get one body, one life, one health, and you got to live the best you can by being honest with yourself.
1: I love that, Maury. That's really great. And uh, I think a lot of people can engage with that. So thank you. I appreciate you joining us today. You're very welcome. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us today. You can catch us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And I'm Andy Ellis. You've been listening to Cloud Security Reinvented.
0: And I'm Maury Haber, Chief Security Officer with BeyondTrust, and you're watching the Cloud Security Reinvented podcast. Thank you. Thank you for checking out this episode of Cloud Security Reinvented, brought to you by Orca Security. Orca Security detects and prioritizes cloud security risks for AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud without the gaps in coverage, alert fatigue, and operational costs of agents. Please follow Cloud Security Reinvented wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or visit orca.security/podcast to get immediate access to all of the latest episodes.